while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Uh, Chris will be back tomorrow, um, but we got a good show ahead for you today. Adam Bass is going to be reporting live uh, from City Council. There's a lot of a uh, lot of big things uh, on the agenda in the Bedford City Council meeting. But wanted to start the the first part of the show um, from the other side of the Massachusetts border. We're joined by WPRI's Ted Nisi. Hey, Ted. Marcus, hey, great to be with you again. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. So, um, uh, so you're at WPRI in in uh, in Providence for people who may not know a TV uh, a, a TV station in the Providence market in this market. Um, I watch every night after South Coast tonight. I turn on I turn on WPRI. At you're least the I, best, our loyalist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Montecalvo doesn't know it, but we're best friends. So I spend every night with him. Right. So um, right, exactly. So so. Uh, so, so Ted, um, breaking news, uh, you actually had an exclusive with uh, Congressman David Cicilline uh, of Rhode Island. He recently decided to step down. Why? Well, yeah, and uh, talk about a shock uh, across Rhode Island politics. Uh, you know, I, I think people had uh, speculated about maybe one of the U.S. senators someday would step aside because they're getting on in years, but nobody thought Cicilline was about to step out of elected politics. Uh, and the short answer seems to be he got a great job offer. Uh, Cicilline is going to be, and for people listening in New Bedford who might remember the name Cicilline, he was in the House uh, since 2010 for Rhode Island's uh, Eastern District, so the one that, that goes along the Massachusetts border, includes a lot of Providence. He was formerly the Providence mayor. He made a lot of news as an impeachment manager for Trump. Yes. Um, but he got offered a, a pretty... Ted? Ted? Yeah, can you, uh, not hear me. Huh? Connection went out for for a second. Sorry. So you said you got... again. Can you hear me now, Marcus? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I have the AirPods on in the car, and it's always a tough thing with technology. In of any course. Broadcast medium. So anyway, Cicilline was the uh, mayor of Providence. He was a Trump impeachment manager. Um, and he got offered the CEO job at the Rhode Island Foundation, which um, is a... It's the biggest funder of nonprofits in Rhode Island. They, uh, you know, they basically they have a lot of money and uh, they hand it out to other nonprofits as sort of a, the mothership of nonprofits. It's also in recent years uh, become a, a more influential job. Uh, the foundation has been more and more kind of being a convener of officials to, you know, have big discussions about education and policy and stuff like that. So he's also going to make three times as much as he's making in Congress, $650,000. Yeah. Um, and so for all those reasons, I think also, frankly, being a Democrat who is headed, I don't tell you this, Marcus, a Democrat now stuck back in the minority uh, heading into his 12th year, 
He made a bid for a big leadership post and lost. Yeah. Uh, it just wasn't looking appetizing to him. So uh, he, he's out as of June 1st. But again, shocked everybody. And now there'll be a, a big special election in this district on the eastern side of Rhode Island later on in the year. Well, that's that's actually what that was going to be my follow up is that uh, he did try to get um, Jim Clyburn's old job and yeah. that went to somebody else. They I guess they went in, in, in a, they went a different direction um, and they have three new leaders in the House that aren't David Cicilline. Did he ever express that that was uh, that that weighed into his uh, his decision? I don't think he's ever going to admit that. Yeah. Um, he's a pretty crafty guy in terms of his public statements. But sure. I also, you know, we all have to be open-eyed about the world around us and i i just don't see how you can think that if he'd won a big post in the house democratic leadership <laughs> right. higher up that he would be bailing on it now right if he had yeah. just gotten that i just think it would have been more appetizing but now he was looking at being you know ranking member of the judiciary subcommittee on antitrust not that that isn't an important job but <laughs> yeah. maybe not as enticing uh, for someone at their, this stage in his career and again i think it's both what he didn't like about the outlook in the house and what he did like about this job at the Rhode Island Foundation. Um, plus, I'm not convinced he's done with politics. I mean, I think if well, and whenever someday one of those U.S. Senate seats in Rhode Island opens up, you know, he could still be a candidate. He's going to have some money in his account federally. He will have spent a number of years, you know, giving out money all across the state right. <laughs> in his new job. Of course. So, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what he does now. Well, um, so he... so. $650,000, and, and Teddy doesn't have to leave Providence, right? He, he can stay home. Yep. Uh, so there's been some discussion about who is lined up to to, to um, run in the special election. He's stepping down. When is that again? Sometime June in the summer? First. June 1st. Um, so we're expecting the primary, which is going to be probably decisive here, since this is the much more Democratic district of the two in mm. Rhode Island. Uh, probably looking at a primary, Democratic primary, well, and Republican, a primary election in like August, September. Who's lined up? I know I saw um, I saw Sabina Matos, the lieutenant governor of Rhode Island, yep. who's formerly in the Providence City Council. <clears throat> She's lined up uh, as a candidate that might that might uh, jump in. Uh, who, who else is a contender? Yeah, she, Sabina Matos definitely a top tier uh, candidate, uh, potential candidate, I should say at the moment. She's looking at this very seriously. Um, you know, she, as you say, just vaulted out of the city council only a few years ago when. Yeah. Dan McKee picked her after he became governor because Gina Raimondo had left for Washington. Right. So uh, Sabina Mondos now has a statewide profile. Um, you know, the assumption is if she ran, um, some of the the PACs that support, for example, Latino candidates would come in trying to help her win the seat and add more diversity to the House. Um, so Sabina Mondos, we're all watching her closely. Another one is Helena Folks. People might remember her from last year's Rhode Island gubernatorial primary. She's the former CVS executive. Um, She'd never run before for office, but she's the uh, niece of former Connecticut U.S. Senator Chris Dodd. Um, she's basically almost like the niece of Nancy Pelosi because Pelosi and her mother were best friends, uh, her late mother. Um, so she has a lot of politics in her blood, even though she's never run before. She nearly knocked off McKee in the Democratic primary for governor last September, and she clearly has the itch uh, to run. A lot of people watching her right now because she – from her personal wealth, from her years in business, as well as her fundraising network she demonstrated in the governor's race, you know, she wouldn't have trouble putting together the money to be competitive. Um, 
after that, you get to a lot more speculation. I mean, I've, I've talked about uh, Gabe Amo, who's a Pawtucket native who works for Biden, right. who is flirting with coming back. Um, he certainly has a network for fundraising, but he's never run for office. So the question of, you know, his voter base, um, lots of mayors and state reps and state senators all kicking the tires on it. Um, but I think a lot of people are waiting to see what Helena Folks does and what Sabina Matos does. Um, you wonder if Brett Smiley was like, man, I got in too early. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you would think that with some people, but I actually don't think that was Brett Smiley, only because he has wanted to be mayor of Providence, not just elected to something, but specifically mayor of Providence for a long time. Right. So honestly, I think for now he is right in the job he's excited to do. Um, you know, you do wonder about Marcus's. Seth Magaziner, who won that right, yeah. big Rhode Island Congress election last year against Alan Fung that was a nationally watched race, he had to move out of his house yes. to get into the second district where he won, ran and won. He got kind of pushed into that race, pressured by Democratic Party elites because they needed a strong candidate. Uh, and now if he just waited a little longer, he could have stayed in his old house and run for this. Yeah, he could have stayed in EP. Right, yeah. Um, but I, I read this morning... Maybe it was in Politico, but Alan Fung is looking at running. Yeah, he. you know, as you know, Marcus, you've seen this before. When when a seat's opened up unexpectedly, there's always a ton of names of people who have sort of let the word be out that, hey, I'm taking a look. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm thinking about it. But there's very different levels of seriousness. I, I will say I have trouble imagining Alan Fung when he just lost with so much money behind him yeah. in a more uh, Republican-friendly district, you know, jumping to the other side of the bay, of Narragansett Bay, and running in this district where he doesn't live, doesn't have a voter base, uh, you know, where he's been rejected multiple times for governor. Um, I'm skeptical. But it also shows, and again, much like in the Massachusetts Republican Party, how weak the bench is for the Republicans yeah. in Rhode Island. There, right. there are just not a lot of names you know, let alone, you know, I talked to one senior Republican today who said to me, well, you know, you know, special elections are weird. Remember when Scott Brown won that race in Massachusetts oh, in 2010? Right. Yeah. But he's not wrong. Right. The weird turnout dynamics, et cetera. Yeah. But you need an actual candidate who's appealing. And Scott Brown was at the time. He was a fresh faced, handsome guy, somewhat moderate. I don't know who that Republican would be now in the first district in Rhode Island. Plus, the national mood had shifted so yes, starkly true. against the Obama administration. That's Very not true. that's not exact. That's not really existent in in this in this era. It's especially not in um in in, in these, our region. Yeah, in our, also, in our region. As we've seen Marcus. I mean, what we're seeing actually is Democrats still seem more motivated to vote in special elections. They won that mm -hmm. Virginia special election handily earlier this week. So, right, I think that's been a shift too there. So, um, we're speaking with Ted Nisi at WPRI. Uh, so that will be um, that will be interesting. A lot of people lined up. I saw our, uh, New Bedford native Cynthia Mendes said she's exploring a run too, a state senator. Yeah, she ran for actually she ran against Sabina Matos last year for yes. lieutenant governor in the primary. Um, you know, she's always run on a more left wing platform. She has. Yeah. Um, and I, I gotta say, I, I don't. She seems like a nice person and all that. Her ad was incredibly annoying. <laughs> Yeah, I hated it. I, her and her and the guy, her and the guy she was running with. I forget his it's name. So funny. I heard such polarized opinions on that. Oh, I hated ad. it. Was Matt Brown. Uh, Matt Brown. I heard from people who thought it was great. It stood out, and I heard from people like you who just did not enjoy it. Matt so, Brown uh, was running for governor of a state, and he's pelvic thrusting in an ad. And I just don't think those two things. <laughs> Well, you lost. So exactly. Right. I don't think a lot of people liked it. <laughs> right. So, um, so you're you're talking about David Cicilline potentially running for senator. Um, Rhode Island has the benefit of having 
Well, actually, let's just want, before we get into that, actually, there's now a power dynamic shift in the House because you've got to have two freshman members of Congress. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for Rhode Island that they're going to send two pretty novice um, members of Congress into the House? Yeah, well, look, I think um, the upside for Rhode Island is Brown has one of the most senior senators in Jack Reed, yeah. um, Services Committee Chairman, and on the Appropriations Committee. Sheldon Whitehouse has been rising through the ranks steadily and is now, you know, a bit of a power in his own right. So, you know, certainly I think Rhode Island's voice is going to be pretty muted in the House yeah. between being, we presume still, barring an earthquake, an all-Democratic two-member delegation of freshmen yes. uh, from right. a tiny state. Um, you know, I can't see how much sway the state's going to have in the House. And, of course, a lot of people around saying, well, and probably there won't be two for all that long because... Everyone thought Rhode Island would lose one of the two House seats after the last census. The state mm -hmm. didn't. Uh, there's now been estimates suggesting that maybe it's because the state overcounted, which has made people even more pessimistic about keeping... It's a very house. Rhode Island thing to do. Very Rhode Island. <laughs> very, very buddy CNC. Um, so <laughs> now we have, uh, you know, we, have, we could be down to one House seat in Rhode Island next time around after 2030. So... You know, I think, but the, the the flip side is, you know, it's a bicameral Congress, and those senators don't really need help in the House necessarily, right? Um, to to you know, and frankly, especially Jack Reed, um, you know, he is a very classic bring home the bacon old school senator in the sense, yeah. you know, he he finds every dollar he can. He's excited that earmarks are back. <laughs> right. He uses the Appropriations Committee. I mean, I once saw I saw something that. The big American rescue plan, I believe Rhode Island and Vermont are like the two states that got the most money per person um, because Pat Leahy and Jack Reed were senior on the appropriations committee. Right, so, yeah. you know, Rhode that Island won't sense. have a lot of clout in the House, but it'll still have plenty of clout in Congress. Yeah. Um, Jack Reed was also on like the short list. When I say short list, mm -hmm. I mean top five candidates for Obama's VP pick that's in right. 2008. So, yep, that's right. I remember he, he talks about the reporter staked out outside his house in Rhode Island the weekend everyone was waiting for the, I think you let one of them use the bathroom. Um, right. so they were on VP watch. Um, so he was, a, he was a real contender for that. Yeah. Um, he's actually overseas right now. I talked to him yesterday uh, from India. Um, he's doing a big trip around the world with Chuck Schumer with foreign allies uh, during the break. So um, speaking of VP vetting process, you had a really, I think, interesting interview with Gina Raimondo, who's now mm -hmm. the former governor of Rhode Island, now secretary of commerce. She went through the VP vetting process. <laughs> um, how she said you, it was terrible. Yeah, she did. She said it was terrible. Right. How do you um, uh, how how do you think she's acclimating to her position and uh, her, her position as this commerce secretary in in, uh, in Washington? She, I mean, first from the first hand you know, from seeing, you know, I've known Gina Raimondo, I've covered her a long time now for well over 10 years since her start in politics. And, uh, you know, she seemed about as happy and uh, energized by her job as I've ever seen her when I was down with her in Washington last month. Um, you know, this is a job, Commerce Secretary is right up her alley. You know, she's got a portfolio that's all about economic development, which has always been the, her passion when it came to public policy. Um, she's you know, she has always been a relentless networker, and that actually works pretty well in Washington, right? She's, she's cultivated a lot of allies on the Hill. Um, she famously now cooked a meal uh, using her Italian cooking skills uh, to bring broker peace between Joe Manchin and President Biden's chief of staff <laughs> right. yeah. last year. You know, so she's become a real player. She's also got an enormous amount of money to spend, which is unusual because she's the one who's going to hand out all this semiconductor money in the big chips act she was actually right. a big speech about that today so i think you know i think she's frankly burnished her 
re, uh, you know, credentials, whatever you want to call it, pretty darn well, especially for someone from such a small state. And so I think it'll keep her in the discussion about, you know, future big jobs, whether it's Treasury Secretary, VP, even, you know, I'm still a little skeptical, but even for president, some people say. Well, the CHIPS Act is important. It's uh, it's it's a big manufacturing bill um, that's going to give a lot of money to, you know, to companies and communities that are going to hire jobs to manufacture chips domestically because we had such a shortage um, due to the supply chain issues. So we're trying to ameliorate that with the CHIPS Act. So that is a big boost to her resume. So you said she's possibly she's thinking about running for president. What, what were her, her aspirations when you spoke with her? Well, of course, no one ever admits fully that they're, you know, they want to be the president. Yeah. But, um, you know, she, there's just no doubt. If nothing else, she certainly enjoys the speculation, you know, and right. the people putting her name out there as a would-be potential president, um, presidential candidate. You know, she was widely seen and on the off chance Mike Bloomberg had ever managed to be the Democratic nominee. She was the biggest name that endorsed him back in 2020. Um, yes. So she's always been bigger than Rhode Island politicians often are. I think... You know, I think she's certainly she, she's going to keep she has no problem having her name stay in the speculation about a future presidential run. I think it adds to her clout down there. Um, I, you know, I just have trouble seeing knowing how the National Democratic Party's move to the left and her sort of fraught relationship with unions back home, at least yeah. the public sector unions that that would come together. But certainly, in fact, she's even being discussed is a. Um, a testament to her, you know, her work ethic and the talents that she does have. It's 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 fascinating to watch, to be honest. It's very interesting. So um, we're speaking with Ted Nisi, WPRI. One more thing I wanted to ask you about: you had a you had an interview with Sheldon Whitehouse, who's the other senator from Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. He's got a major chairmanship. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So he's just become the chairman of the Budget Committee, and it's a committee he's always bad mouthing mm -hmm. <laughs> because he says it's useless and hasn't done any good work in years, et cetera, et cetera. And it's basically because Congress, as we all kind of know, is pretty dysfunctional in how it does its budgeting at the moment. And so the, the promise of the budget committee to kind of like have a big picture viewpoint on things has not really come to fruition. But, mm -hmm. you know, he's got this gavel now. He's waited a long time. He's been in, Congress, in the Senate since 2007. And he, you know, he wants to use it to call attention in particular to climate change, which is one of his big, big issues, yeah. and talk about the budget implications of not tackling climate change. Um, and then, of course, you know, with the debt ceiling fight coming and the arguments about Social Security and Medicare, all those are things that um, Senator Whitehouse, Chairman Whitehouse in that job, I think is going to be relevant on. So, you know, I think Rhode Island, certainly in terms of its Senate delegation, is you know, punches above its size um, in a big way, uh, which is not going to be the case for a delegation right, yeah. soon at this rate. So, um, Ted, I appreciate you joining me. This is my, uh, I guess, my Wheaton College special because Adam Bass yeah. is going to be calling in at a, at a Believe certain it or point. Not, for people at home, Adam was one of my students at Wheaton because I'm so old. Um, <laughs> and so uh, he and he's doing great stuff. I'm glad he's down with you guys getting a good uh Really seeing politics uh, t down and dirty up close in New Bedford. Yeah, he's doing a great job. Ted, uh, Ted Nisi, WPRI, where can people go to, to, to see your work? Head to WPRI.com. We've got um, Newsmaker shows are on there. Uh, Nisi's Notes, my column Saturday mornings, comes out there every week. Ooh. And uh, very active on Twitter. And, of course, you can watch Newsmakers Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our sister station, Fox Providence. Who's on Newsmakers this week? This week, oh, Cicilline. Uh, oh. We're actually going to show the full interview I taped with him on Tuesday about his departure and then do some handicapping on what's going to happen in that first district uh, congressional race. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Ted. Marcus, thanks so much for having me. Be well. Bye.
That was Ted Nisi, WPRI. Love having Ted on. Uh, you know, Ted covers uh, not just, you know, he's in the Providence market, which we're in, the in terms of the, uh, the local media. We're in the Providence market as well. So he covers not just the Rhode Island stuff, but also... Um, also here in southeastern Massachusetts, they we had one of two Bristol County Sheriff's debates here on South Coast tonight. They had the other one on WPRI. Actually, I think it was an episode of Newsmakers that they had it. Um, they also had New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell on recently, and that was a pretty good interview, too. So uh, definitely a lot of good stuff. Love talking to Ted about all the goings on. But, you know, when David Cicilline had, had decided he was going to step down, um, the major move that was a major story in, in, in New England politics. And, of course, there's nobody else I'd want to talk about that with more than Ted Nisi, so I appreciate him coming on. All right, we got a really big show tonight. Um, we have Adam Bass. He's reporting live from City Hall. They've got a lot. Um, they've got a lot in the agenda. Adam told me earlier it was a forty-one item agenda. So I don't know if he'll get out in time to to say a few words because you know he's got to write his he's got to write his article, which he gets out as quickly as he possibly can. I think quicker than anybody could, quicker than I could. Um, so, you know, we'll see if we can hear from him directly, but he's going to be giving us updates live on what's happening in the council chambers. Just for um, people who don't know, there are on the agenda today, on the agenda today, there is the uh, nomination for Carol Pimentel, which um, there, you know, some counselors want to vote no further action on, which means it would essentially kill her nomination. Mitchell would have to bring it back. Um, there is the there is the um, the uh, Brian Gomes's public safety motion for um, the to address the police staffing shortages. Uh, I think that's just going to be referred to the committee on public safety. I don't know if anybody's going to say on say anything on it. And there is Mitchell's um, Mitchell's pay raise. Uh, Mitchell's basically his 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 introduced ordinances on city worker pay he wants to rein in some of those pay raises you know the fifty thousand dollar pay raises that morad had put forward that the city council had adopted and they basically reduced them to like twenty five thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars he wants to rein those in more um he says they're still too excessive and he also wants to get rid of the 10 percent penalty um for out of city workers which frankly i think is pretty desperately needed I, I talked about how you know the hiring we do here in Fairhaven and other towns do and it's not a very tenable situation I think it's probably a, a good reason why they're about 200 workers short of where they need to be to have a fully staffed um, municipal government so there's a lot on that agenda Adam will be tracking it with us and of course I'll be taking your calls at 508 996 0500. That's how you can get on the program this evening. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. New Bedford's News Talk Station. Welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. Again, that was Ted Nisi. Appreciate him joining me this evening. Um, taking your calls uh, throughout the evening. Again, at 508-996-0500. But some interesting stuff happening now. Um, so uh, Adam's live tweeting. We're getting uh, the 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 pay raise or the unit C classifications, the pay amendments, right? The stuff that talked about the city count, the pay raises city council approved. Mitchell wanting to rein some of them in, 
and the um and the um getting rid of the the pay penalty i think yeah getting rid of the pay penalty for for uh non-residents so um ryan uh so per- <laughs> So, um, so Ryan said, Ryan Pereira, Ward 6 City Councilor said, um, there were 11 employees. Okay. So he's saying that there's no transparency. He said, he said, uh, the Mitchell administration is lying, says he met with auditors and the CFO. And he says, I can hundred percent say that my vote was not arbitrarily made. I came out to an agreement that I felt was fair for our hardworking city employees, um, Pereira said, I think the media and the public did their job, but the administration is, but, but the administration constantly barraged us with claims that are consistent, uh, barraged us with claims that are consistently false. It's unacceptable. He said, uh, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Maria Giesta said, are we surprised by the action of the mayor? You know, we have the answer if, if the mayor is running for reelection, uh, we don't know if the mayor is running for reelection yet. This is a common theme between the council. Okay, so that's that's just um, Adam's commentary. We have people wholly disrespected by our administration. Uh, by our administration, I am very disappointed by this res- uh, rhetoric. Uh, apparently, said the the press isn't doing their jobs. That's what Maria said. The press isn't doing their jobs. Um, I mean, if there's something, there's something she wants to critique about WBS. I'm open to hearing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. I don't know what we haven't done, but I don't know if she's talking about us. I don't know if she's talking about us. Standard Times, New Bedford Light, no idea. But that's what's going on now. They're talking about the UNICE reclassifications and uh, apparently um, are upset about it. Lots of uh, motions are running high in the council right now. And we're going to get more updates on whether or not they're going to. I mean, because the thing is, is I'd imagine on something like that, they're going to send it to the committee, typically. You send that stuff to committee, like finance or ordinance, I believe, or one of those, one of the two, maybe ordinance. You send it to the committee on ordinances, and then you take it up. I don't know. Unless they're going to shoot it down now. I mean, the tape, the, 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 again, I said this before, the 10% pay penalty, um, that's not a t- I don't think that's tenable. I don't know what other cities do that. I don't know what other towns do that. Again, we don't do that here. A lot of pl- other places don't do it because it'd just be difficult to, it'd just be, you know, hiring positions would be pretty untenable. Um, and since they're 200 workers short of having a fully staffed municipal government, it seems like what they should do is change that to attract more attract more workers city workers you know get rid of the residency rule because it's really difficult uh to that's really difficult to manage just in Fairhaven just in the just in the public works department alone they have key supervisory positions that are filled by excellent qualified people that do not live in Fairhaven and we're fine with that I don't care as long as there's somebody good doing the job that wants to do a good job, I don't really care. Yeah, it'd be nice if they lived in, in the town, but if they don't have to, 
right? It's not a requirement. We're not going to cut their salary because they do. We're going to say your your work is value at a lesser value because you don't live here. I don't understand the logic behind it. It's something that I'm sure, like, you know, on the surface sounds good. Like, oh, the, you know, probably something that a lot of voters like. They're like, oh, yeah, you should live here if you work here. But people want to live where they want to live. And you're not really going to offer a good enough job in most circumstances to make people move, right? There isn't, it have to be a really good job, a really high paying good job to force people to move from where they live, right? Someone owns a house in Dartmouth, let's say, and there's a job at the DPI in, in New Bedford, and that job pays sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, something like that. Are they going to move for that? Are they going to sell their house, buy a house in New Bedford, and move for that job? Or are they going to take it for ten percent? Or are they going to go somewhere else? Maybe Fall River Public Works is hiring. Maybe Freetown Public Works is hiring. Right? Maybe some other public works department is hiring, and I don't have to take a I don't have to take a haircut because I don't live within the, the city borders. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think it's definitely something they should get rid of. The salary reclassifications, you know, obviously the first set were pretty excessive. Um, the $50,000 pay raises, right, that, that Moore had put forward. Obviously those were, were, were excessive. They did listen to the voters and rein those in a bit. Whether or not that's too much, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. You know, they'll have to... Revisit. I guess that's up for the voters to decide, or the, the residents to decide, and make their voices heard to the to the um to the to their counselors. But I see some calls online. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back. 1420 WBSM, where freedom of speech lives. One's on the left, left. the other on the right. Right. They're both ready to call it right down the middle. More of Marcus and Chris on South Coast Tonight here on WBSM. Welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're live. Yeah, good evening, Marcus. How you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, hanging in there. You know, as far as locally... You know something, Marcus? I'd like to know how many businesses are closing in the city. And due to the high tax rate, uh, that's what I'd like to know. I think the major problem here in the city is is the taxes. Yeah, they're... they're we're gonna, yeah, go ahead, Marcus. The property taxes in uh, in New Bedford in particular are, 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 are a lot higher than I think a lot of other communities. And that, that is an issue, but... right. But on property taxes and uh, and commercial tax, if if we were able to uh, lower prop, uh, not only property taxes but commercial taxes to to bring in uh, new companies, uh, that would help alleviate our budget. You know, help to pay for you know administrative costs and sure. police, fire, definitely, and the paramedics, public safety, and infrastructure. That's that's the Achilles heel. That nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, part of that is you got to bring in like stuff like the advanced manufacturing campus. That's what it's supposed to do. Um, but they're having some issues with that now. Um, but that's what they're hoping to do with that offshore wind, you know, marine commerce terminal, all of that. That's supposed to bring in businesses, property taxpayers, and um, 
and diversify the tax base a little bit more, take some of the pressure off the off the property uh, um, off of uh, property taxpayers, for well, sure. And then there's a lot of nonprofits, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, commercial property too is at a premium here in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another thing. So there's a lot of issues. Uh, but I mean, if we're going to be paying administrators uh, all that kind of money on the police department. Uh, twenty. I think it was Jack Spillane that said it was twenty-one dollars an hour for an entry-level police officer putting their life on the line. I mean, that's just uh, too low, too low of a mm-hmm. figure, and uh, they should be getting paid more money than that. I mean, no wonder why they're going to other communities. Uh, right. Police officer either leaving the force, or the younger police officers don't want to come to New Bedford. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, it could be one of the things could be with with the, the honestly what it could be an issue of with the with the officers, too. It's it's New Bedford's probably one of the more dangerous communities to be a police officer in. Right. Um, you know, in terms of there was a lot of people going to Totten's probably a less you know, there's probably a lot less action up there. They talked about people going to Lakeville. Right. That could be one of the issues. That could be one of the issues as well. And I don't know how you ameliorate that. But if you pay if you pay them a, a good salary, you know some people have mentioned. Well, <laughs> well, that's going to you know, be collectively bargained for. So it's right. it's really well, out of is, the, uh, is it know. true they're working without a contract? Uh, the police department. Yeah, Mitchell Mayor Mitchell had said um, that they had reject they had turned down a contract um, in December. Uh, they had turned down a contract in December, um, so they're still working. I, I the union had so they're still working on that. I'm not sure. Honestly, you know what? Um, like, I'm not privy to the the internal negotiations on either side, so it's hard to right, like right. it's hard to place blame anywhere because I don't know because we don't know the you know we're not in the room where it happens. Right. In other words, you don't you don't know inside baseball, basically. To a certain uh, yeah, right. To the extent that I could say anything, right? I, right, I can't right. you know right. I don't. But yeah. some, some people have argued. Well, you know, police go on detail. They get paid a lot of money, but sure. you know, D- those details are paid. Companies. Yeah, details like, paid by the by the people who need it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's not something they rely on. I mean, it's when they're on the street protecting, uh, you know, life and property. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they give. That's it's almost like minimum wage. I mean. Of, of law enforcement, if you think about it. Right. Yeah. One more thing is, Marcus, on Taiwan, you mentioned the, uh, with Ted Nisi, uh, you know, and micro, the microchips and microprocessors in Taiwan. Now, Taiwan is the leading producer of microchips and those microprocessors. It's a matter of national security. I know it was reported today on the news that uh, 100 to 200 U.S. soldiers are going to be uh, sent over there to Taiwan basically for training uh, purposes. Uh, but the thing is, the main point of emphasis in national security is uh, quantum computing and quantum, quantum supremacy. Right. And that's very important because uh, if, if your technology is not cutting edge and advanced, if it gets in the hands of China, then uh, you know our satellite capabilities and our computer infrastructure and all of that is going to be... Uh, it's going to be in big trouble, yeah. uh, to put it that way. I'm just simplifying it. Right. But as far as, uh, you know, the, the Taiwanese government also was reported uh, that they had paid the United States uh, for fighter jets and other mili- advanced military equipment that they've already sent the money here, but the Biden administration hasn't sent what they, uh, what they wanted. 
Right. Now, they paid, unlike Ukraine, that's just a blank check. We're sending all kinds of money in there. Taiwan poses more of a, uh, a national uh, defense threat to the United States than what's happened in the, in the Ukraine. And yeah, the but Ty- Taiwan, has a, Taiwan has a much, um, I think, a much more capable military capacity. And uh, it's less, um, just geographically, it's, it's a less feasible operation for Taiwan to be invaded by China than Russia, the Ukraine, just as a matter of, just a matter of, of like their location and just the logistics behind it. Like China would need, a, China, China would need a, a, a significant amphibious compa- capacity to be able well, to invade Taiwan. The other thing is, as far as, you know, is the, the land uh, on the island is two giant mountains too, that would make it very uh, difficult for the Chinese military to go in there. But, I mean, as far as their flyovers, the, the Chinese yeah. flying their planes, their fighter jets over there, uh, that, I mean, they're all constantly trying to push the envelope. But another thing that I'd like to emphasize is uh, last year uh, there was an, uh, a CEO from IBM. Uh, there was said that the, the reporter asked the, the CEO, why can't we produce the microchips here? And he mm-hmm. says, well, you're talking about, you know, maybe 10 years out, we don't have the capability, uh, you know, the, the tools, the machinery uh, to, to, to produce it right away. It's going to take time. So, But that's the thing. We don't have time. We have to try to protect uh, Taiwan because of just their main, they're the main producer, I mean, outside of Japan. Yeah. No, I, 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 well, that's why I think the, the, the CHIPS Act is actually pretty important right it's going to internalize a lot of the or uh, you know domesticate a lot of that that production so i think that would mitigate a lot of the security risks right you know as far as you know it's uh those hey. microchips military uh it's it's military obviously Listen, in your, we gotta I, I gotta i gotta hold you because i got this break well, but right, you, can, Marcus, you can call you back yeah all right thanks uh, there's a lot going on in the New Bedford City Council meeting. Adam's live tweeting it, so we're going to cover a lot of that in the in the next hour. Apparently, some people are mad at the media. Um, I don't know if that's like us or, you know, I guess it's us, right? Or if they're talking about us, New Bedford Light, Standard Times, but maybe it's all of us. Maybe it's one of us. I, I don't know. Um, but apparently, there's some people that are none too pleased with the media. So we'll, um, we'll get into that in the, in the eight o'clock hour. Uh, I'll read some of the, some of the quotes that I've gotten from some of my, um, some of my Adam Bass and then some of my, uh, my, my very well-placed sources. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that.